Welcome to Get in the Herd, a podcast about addiction and recovery brought to you by the McShin Foundation. If you or a loved one are looking for real discussions about addiction, recovery, stigma, advocacy, and most importantly, hope, then stick around. Thanks for joining us. Now sit back and get ready for another great episode of Get in the Herd. Hello, folks. John Shenholzer here, live from the McShen Foundation in Richmond, Virginia. And we're bringing you another wonderful podcast today. Most of you know me, those of you who don't, I'm president and founder, co-founder of the McShen Foundation. I'm a person in long-term recovery from substance use disorders. For me, that means I've been clean and sober a little over 38 years. But enough of that. We have an extraordinarily special guest today, one I'm very proud to have on the show. And he's here to discuss the National Opioid Settlement Fund and what it means to Virginia and, of course, other states that follow. But without further ado, I'd like to introduce my friend, Attorney General of Virginia, Mark Heron. Mark, introduce yourself. Well, hello, John. It's great to see you. And, um, and thank you so much for having me. But more importantly, thank you for everything you're doing in the recovery community and that you all have been working on the front lines for so long. Well, thank you. You know, before we jump, jump into the Oakpool settlement, just, just briefly, what's your feeling with the recovering community, the McShen Foundation, what you've seen across Virginia? Well, you're doing amazing work and you have really helped me better understand um, this issue, what it means to be battling an addiction and, and hope for how you can get through it. And so I want to thank you for, for helping to educate me and make me a better attorney general in, in working on this issue. Um, you've allowed me to sit in in a lot of recovery sessions to listen directly to um, those who've been impacted by this. And, um, you know, I've heard from so many who are in the recovery community about how it started with them, um, how they came to find recovery and, you know, their ongoing battle with addiction. And, um, and it has led to really you helping me be a better attorney general and addressing um, ways that we can, we can help and support the, the work that you and others are doing. Right. And obviously, you've met a lot of families in this process, too, folks who have experienced the devastation associated with the opioid epidemic. So you must have a bit of a heart toward these families, too. Well, that's, that's really what drew me and, and made a, me make a commitment to doing everything I could to make sure this doesn't happen to others. My, I got my start in public service as a county supervisor in local government. So my heart was always in you know, local communities. And right. so I, right after I was elected back in 2013 and started in 2014, the first thing I wanted to do was to travel around the state, listen to local officials. And I was just so struck by how many told me that um, overdoses and overdose deaths were a huge problem, a growing problem, and it seemed like nobody was listening. And then at the end of that tour, I was back home up in Northern Virginia, my part of Northern Virginia, at a, a meeting with a, a dinner with law enforcement, and a woman there came over and, and pulled me aside, and she told me that she and her husband had just lost their um, young adult daughter to a heroin overdose just a month earlier. Um, and you know, after talking glowingly about um, her daughter and and the, the just gaping hole now in their heart um, because of the loss. She looked at me straight in the eye and she said, "Don't let this happen to another child in Virginia." And right. yeah, you know, I, I made a commitment to myself right there that I would do everything I could to combat this problem. And it's been seven years working on it. Uh, 
All right, so we'll jump into these court cases. Now, just briefly, there's several different type of settlement cases out there. Just maybe name or talk about the, the several different ones, but the big one that you worked on that's come to Virginia. Well, there are, are several. We have sued Purdue Pharma for you know their role in creating and and prolonging this epidemic. We named the, some of the Sackler family members individually because they were making a lot of these decisions when they were on the board of directors of Purdue Pharma, um, helping to make those marketing decisions. So there's a, a case against Purdue Pharma. They declared bankruptcy. So you know a lot of the cases against Purdue got pulled into the bankruptcy up in New York and settlement discussions are ongoing right now with that. There's another very large group of cases and, and really um, a multi-state investigation among myself and other state attorneys general into the role that distributors had um, in this. And then also some of the other larger um, manufacturers of opioids. And then, so those are like two big groups of cases right there. And then another one that just happened recently was against a company called um, McKinsey and Company. This was a marketing company that worked for several of the, uh, among other companies, several of the drug manufacturers, including Purdue Pharma. And we learned that when we started investigating Purdue, there was some effort to uh, destroy internal documentation in McKinsey. And um, so we have recently um, reached a settlement with them for their role in creating all kinds of schemes to push more prescriptions and more pills into Virginia and our communities here. Um, and that resulted in a, a 500 and approximately $575 million uh, settlement nationally. Virginia alone should get about 13.6. Most of that, the majority of that will come within about 60 days. And, yeah. you know, and, and just and real quickly, I want to be real clear about this. No amount of money, no amount of money is ever going to make up for the harm and the devastation that has been wrought. But it is at least one way that we can begin to hold those who we, I think, are accountable, you know, hold, those who are responsible to hold them to some accountability and get needed money to help those who are battling addiction right now. Right. One of, one of those cases has a uh, what they call a public benefit company that they set up. Are you familiar with that little tussle? Yeah, that's that's the Purdue Pharma one. And there's so many claims against Purdue Pharma. You know, they, they can't pay them all. So um, that's why they, they they filed for bankruptcy protection. And um, there there are some people who want to turn that company and, and get it out of bankruptcy and, and have the public have an, an ownership stake and a control in it and in the belief that we can generate more revenue um, in part by selling opioids. And I just think that is that is the wrong approach. Um, I, I want to make sure that I, as attorney general, I don't want to be owning a pharmaceutical company, let alone one that has any involvement in opioids. What I want to do is hold the people responsible for their actions and their culpability in this crisis, and then uh, try to get as much money as I can to help those that are fighting addiction. Now, ultimately, that'll be for for bankruptcy court. Um, there are a lot of a lot of unusual rules about bankruptcy and bankruptcy law that may may force me to have to agree to something that I don't think is as good as it should be. 
but that remains to be seen right now and, and we're in ongoing discussions about that yeah, yeah just so you know as that discussion evolves to the families and the victims and us we would look at that sort of like you know like you take a concentration camp in germany you turn it into a bed and breakfast try to make some money off of it so it's, it's very insulting to us the families and victims to even go down that hole if we had our way we just blow everything up sell all the assets disperse the funds FYI. and i think that i i think that's the right approach um i don't want to have anything to do with controlling a pharmaceutical company that's selling opioids very good so now i'm trying to explain to people look mark Heron, he worked his butt off bringing this, these funds to Virginia. So here it is. We cannot spend these funds until they go through the General Assembly and they create the abatement authority. And I want that to be the meat and potatoes of all discussion because I know how government works. And, and I can only think back about the tobacco settlement and how that turned out, the previous Purdue Pharma lawsuit in 07 and how that turned out. So I'm, I'm looking at the bill. It's before the House and the Senate, and I think it's in crossover right now. And and I, as you know, I got a few, I got a couple big problems with it. But all I can do is voice my problems. But any thoughts on that? Yeah. So one of the things that in a typical case that we bring, and and the cases that that we've brought on these opioids have to deal with consumer protection because. I think these the, the people who are running these companies knew how dangerous they were. They misled people about it. They had all these marketing schemes to get doctors to prescribe more and more. And so it's a it's a consumer protection kind of lawsuit. And in a in normally in consumer protection cases, we try to get restitution if some if somebody's been ripped off. We try to get their money back for them. A lot of times, any additional recovery beyond that just goes straight into the general fund. And, and the General Assembly decides how to spend it. But this crisis is so severe. It is so unique. It, it is so, um, has devastated so many people that I felt really strongly that as much money as possible that we get, whether it's from a settlement or a judgment, that as much money as possible go back into abating this crisis, to preventing it from happening, to uh, helping those who are in addiction and in, in recovery, uh, because we need to be doing more. And so I'm, I'm doing everything I can to make sure that money gets plowed back to where it's needed. And that's why uh, I've asked for this legislation to be put forward. By the way, um, uh, the majority leader, Charnel Herring, is carrying it on the House side. Uh, Senator George Barker is carrying it on the Senate side. And both of those passed unanimously, which doesn't happen often in this uh, partisan world, but I'm really pleased that uh, there seems to be a, an understanding that getting that money to the people um, who are able to deliver services is the right thing to do. Well, you know, historically, our, our agencies involved with tax dollars trying to mitigate addiction in general, they haven't done their best job. And, and I'm, you know, I'm a critic of that, mainly because we're in the trenches, the non-government organizations, the non-profit, non-government organizations. Every day, we're meeting and engaging these folks, and we have very, very little funding. And I'm just, I'm just, I'm fearful that it'll get hung up in these agencies who make it sound like and look like they're good and good. And, and as it stands for 40 years, 
That's the way it's been. And, and if you look at the charts, the addiction rate keeps going up. Overdose rates keep going up. So what they're doing is not working. And I, and I put together a special meme just for the state agency so they can know how I think. And, and this is kind of how I would characterize sometimes what we're getting out of these agencies. And, uh, and then I put together what Dr. DuPont has to say as part of our solutions. Uh, you, you know, Dr. DuPont came to Richmond and did a great discussion on what's working. And our evidence, our data, it shows that 50% of outcomes are coming from non-government organizations, sober living folks, VAR, campus accredited people, and all the other non-government organizations around the state. And uh, all these great experts say, look, man, that recovering community, Mark, you've been around the state. You watch us in action. You, you've seen how this thing works. I know you know about state agencies, so I'm, I'm pretty sure you can understand my fear and my concern. And I'm curious how, how we can address that. Well, and, and I am mindful of that concern. And so here is how I'm trying to make sure that this is done differently. So I'm hopeful that as much money as possible, maybe even all of it, um, goes into what we're trying to set up, which is what we call an abatement authority, not to a different state agency, but to an authority whose sole mission is to make sure that money gets pushed out to the local communities, to those who are providing services. Um, and and I, what we're trying to do is make sure that the people who are serving on this abatement authority are not all politicians, but instead are people who are on the front lines of this. Um, and so there is, there is a seat at the table for representatives of the recovery community. There's a seat at the table for uh, someone who is in the community service boards from a rural area, one from a suburban area, um, one from uh, a, sheriff's, you know, a sheriff who, as we know, um, unfortunately, oftentimes when um, you know, they're, they're almost uh, the, a, a service provider by default in a lot of cases because of they're operating the jails. And so I really want to make sure that the people who understand uh, how, how services are delivered, people who are on the front lines are making sure that they're making the decisions of where this money should be spent best. And there are some um, uh, incentives to try to encourage uh, local governments to partner up with groups such as yours and those nonprofits who are doing great work in each of their communities. Remember, I, I said I got my start in local government um, and, and I always saw local government teaming up with uh, nonprofits in the community are really the state's service delivery partners. Sometimes the state can get money, but it needs to be pushed out to the local communities, um, the nonprofits and the local governments who work with them. And that's what I'm hoping this will do. And it, it should have a, a different mix of, of um, ways that, that the money can be spent. Certainly a, a lot of it, I hope, will get into the local communities. There could be some state priorities like, and I'm just, we need more addiction treatment specialists. We need more peer, peer specialists. So, you know, some of that can go to statewide priorities, but a lot of it needs to go to those organizations that are, are doing the work on the ground on a shoestring budget, because that's where we get the best bang for the buck. I just saw Honesty put a comment. Honesty says, I'd love to be on that. I'll take a seat on that board, but but one seat's not enough. You know, we should have at least a couple really authentic recovering people 
to know what time of day it is to be on there. And I saw Beth Macy comment, incarceration is not the answer. I would love to have access to all these jails in Virginia and bring our McShen program in there, complete with the reentry, the sober living, peer navigation. You know, McShen, we pioneered the peer industry in Virginia long before the agencies come along and started, you know, rigging the system, so to speak. So I know where all the skeletons are in this type of operation. And, and I just think it'd be everybody, in, in everybody's best interest, they would at least listen to us. And, and I give you credit, you do listen to us, you know. But at some point in time, listening's got to turn into results. Um, and, and I think this authority is a way to get a lot of results. And, you know, as you know, um, there are changes made in the, in the legislative process. So, um, and I'm certainly open to having greater representation from the authentic, pure uh, recovery community. Fast learner, you picked up on it. <laughs> you know, when I first saw the bill, when uh, Brittany first sent it to me, I'll be honest with you, I read it and I went, hell yeah, this guy knows what he's talking about. He's got the right paragraph, the right language, everything's good. But then I start double reading it, triple reading it. And I can see where legislators got up in there and started putting their landmines in there for, for folks like us. And I'm just, you know, I just want to ensure that it, it, the abatement authority sounds like that's an organization we could possibly work with. Well, I, and I, I would like you to be able to do that. And so um, I would encourage, uh, John, not just you, and, and, and you know the legislative process, you've got uh, people you work with there, um, so, and you know how to do that. But other people who are listening and watching, make sure that you're talking to your legislators, your, your you know, delegates, senators, make sure that they hear from you about how you feel about it, about why this is important, and let them know. You think there needs to be greater uh, representation on the authority from the recovery community, and those, those, to me, those are, those are changes that we can work on. Uh, the biggest hurdle was really just trying to make sure that this money doesn't just go into the general fund and get spent somewhere else. Right. This needs to go in to help people who are battling addiction right now. And, uh, and that, to me, that was, the, that was the biggest and most important hurdle. I think there are things that we can do with making sure that there's good representation there. You know, also, I tell my friends, you know, I, I'm wired in all over the country to folks like me and their prospective state. And I try to explain to people every state has their own issue with the money it's got to go through their state government and that's the time for them to go after their state people because once once y'all come out of new york it's up to the states how this works well it, it is um and and there are some things that um i'm working on with my colleagues to try to to try to tighten it as much as we can so that this money doesn't just go to to the state budget and then appropriated to other things. This is a priority for Virginia. It needs to be a priority for our country. And so we're, we're, we are all mindful of that. And, uh, and that's why I was glad to see this McKinsey settlement come in. It's the first one, uh, Purdue and, and the one with the distributors and a couple of other manufacturers could be much larger. You know, the, their details were still negotiating, but I'm hopeful that this is just the beginning. You know, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a free thinker. I don't, you know, I don't have to really drink anybody's Kool-Aid, so to speak. But if the state of Virginia wanted to like triple the value and the outcome of, of these incoming funds, now would be a good time to start reclassifying drugs, flip Virginia more from a criminal justice model to a healthcare model, 
come align a little bit more like Portugal and Oregon. And by doing that, these dollars, man, you can stretch them way out and you get a little pump effect taking place with criminal justice spending and healthcare spending. I mean, what are your, have you have any thoughts around that? Yeah, I think we need to make um, a lot of changes in our drug policy. When I first started looking at this issue, um, that was the that was my first step was thinking, OK, we we cannot repeat um, this, the same failed drug policies of the past that we did in the 90s and 80s and before where we just criminalize it, try to arrest our way out of it. That was not going to work um, and needed to address it as a public health crisis. So that was the first step. And then also trying to communicate that message to the public all across the state, make sure that they that people understood this is something that can happen to anyone. And, and we need to treat it that way. So that was that's that's the first step. But I also think there are a lot of reforms we can make in our, our other criminal laws. Like and I and a couple of years I came out and was like a leader in saying we need to reform our cannabis laws and and not just decriminalize it, but um, but have legal regulated adult use. Um, and we were spending million tens of millions of dollars every year on enforcement of possession of small amounts of marijuana. We were criminalizing tens of thousands of Virginians every year. And, you know, in Virginia, at least right now, a conviction like that stays with you your entire life. I'm hoping we change that, too. Um, and, and this year, I hope, is, is the year to do it. So we're, we are moving in that direction. We can be doing more, too. You know, as a recovery person, I mean, I don't, I don't drink at all. I don't smoke weed or none of that. But I think like that marijuana legislation, I think the governor's right on the money. Let's get this thing, treat it like alcohol, take the tax dollars, do your prevention, education, treatment, recovery, reduce criminal justice big time. It, it'll start healing these communities of color that the drug laws have crushed over. You know, our, our drug policies have done way more damage than the drugs have done. So I think you got a lot of like-minded people here. But back to that abatement, I don't want to lose sight of that either. You know, that abatement authority, that, that board of directors, they, you know, the way I read the bill, it seems to me that they can sort of demand some of those monies going to these NGOs, even if it's got to go through a CSB to write the check, so to speak, you know, but it sounded to me like it's kind of set up like that. Well, that, that is the hope. And, and the, you know, and anytime you're dealing with, with money and making sure it's being spent in the right place and in the right ways, you've got a lot of people with different ideas. You've got a lot of local governments who have their own way of thinking. And so you, it, it, it is a, um, uh, quite a negotiation to get to where we have gotten to right now. And so right now, some of it will go to the localities, but all of it has to go to abatement. Uh, at least that, that's the current plan, all of it to go to abatement and none of it to supplant existing uh, prevention and, and treatment programs. So this should be all additive and the board has the ability to direct a large portion of that to uh, things that they think are going to be successful. And that's the whole point is to make sure that we have people who are on the front lines, who know what's going on to help make sure it gets directed in the right place. Um, and, um, and John, uh, you or people with the knowledge that you have need to make sure that you're represented at that table. And I take seriously your, your, uh, <laughs> Uh, insistence that it, you all need to have greater representation, and it's a fair point. 
Yeah, well, we're, I mean, we're shovel ready. You know, we already have a, a system in place. We, we have the capacity model with the right amount of funding, man. We can, we can blow this thing up and we can really solve some problems here. Uh, you can. And, uh, and, and also say this past year, I can only imagine how difficult um, this has been for you and folks in your organization, for those who are in recovery right now, those who want to be in recovery uh, with the pandemic, it has just um, taken a difficult situation and exacerbated it. So I know that you're able to, to take very few dollars um, and, and somehow like I, I guess sort of like it's a wonderful life. You, you put you put two dollars <laughs> in the safe and oh, yeah. uh, hope they multiply overnight. Well, we, you know, we're very resourceful people, you know, and we we have been open every single day in person visits. We've mitigated, you know, the COVID, I think, marvelously. Uh, we didn't have our first real cases around here until about a month ago after the Christmas break. So I think McShane has done just we should be teaching classes on how to run an operation 24 7 365 and not let another illness stop you from dealing with the illness you're dealing with so i'm really proud of our board our staff our community you know we take people in every single day throughout all COVID. we've taken new people in and uh so i, I mean we have so much evidence how valuable we are and we had we're at a turning point in our history to really, you know, blow this thing up, like I like to say. So anything you're fearful about as this bill goes through the General Assembly? Any you got any worries about anything? Well, you know, the, the legislative process, you, you've got to keep your eye on the ball um, and never take it off because things can change quickly. But I, I would I su- you know, ask again, um, for those of you who are watching or listening, make sure you're in touch with your delegate, your state senators, and, and make sure that they know how important it is for you to make for you and how important it is for the state to make sure this money gets to where it's needed. That's the key. That's the key is making sure that it, it goes to the organizations who are really delivering um, and, and have a proven track record like McShin and, and you do. And I know that you do have uh, programs already in some of the jails and, and anything I can do to help help you expand them because you're doing so much. Right. What about like, you know, even in the recovery space, I'm sure you see this. You know, we, we have a lot of different factions in the recovery space. You got prevention people, harm reduction people, treatment people, recovery people, medication people. I mean, how important is it for us to really start aligning ourselves, coming together, going downtown, speaking with one voice? I mean, I would think well, that, that in, in the legislative process, that is always a good way to do it. When when you're able to speak and be unified, um, that is always uh, appreciated. Because when, 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 when people who are really on the same side of the issue but have differences of opinion on how to get to the right place, um, it just sometimes, and, I, and I've been in the state Senate, I was there for, for eight years, so I understand sometimes it's difficult as a legislator to try to figure out, okay, they're saying one thing, they're saying another thing, they, they should be on the same side, but there's some differences. But if you all are able to um, get an understanding among all of you about the best, best approaches to use, uh, that really, from the legislative standpoint, getting things through is the way to do it. Right. Where Where do you think the governor is on all of this? You had conversation with him? Yeah, we haven't spoken directly about this bill, but I know this is an issue he cares a lot about. Um, as a physician himself, he's, he's seen uh, how devastating the uh, epidemic has been. And, and I think, um, I don't want to speak for him, but in my conversations with you, the takeaway I have is that 
he is very um, understanding of people who are in recovery and want to want to do everything he, he can do in order to help. So I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. We've been we have been uh, keeping him and his staff informed along the way. Um, so, again, I'm cautiously optimistic we're going to get this done and, and get it delivered. The um, so how long do you think it'll be before a bill gets passed, the abatement authorities created and the funds come in and distributions are being made? So the, the current timeline is the General Assembly is meeting right now. There are a couple of weeks to go. So that's that's the time frame. We need to get this done and passed you know, before the, the sort of regular slash special session adjourns in a couple of weeks. And then it goes to the governor. The governor can propose amendments or sign it as is. Hopefully, um, you know, if there are some helpful amendments that need to be made, there's a process to make that happen. Um, and the settlement money from the McKinsey settlement should be coming within 60 days. So uh, that money should come in in a, in a couple of months. Uh, the abatement authority hopefully will be up and going by the 1st of July and money can get in and then start getting uh, distributed um, out as, as quickly as possible. Now, you said the governor can amend things, right? Make amendments? Yeah. Does that mean it's got to go back to the House and Senate for approval or can he do it on the spot? Well, the, um, the process is if the governor makes an amendment, it needs to go back to the House and Senate during uh, what's called the veto session. Um, you know, that typically in, in early April. Um, so, you know, the time frame is it, it will happen pretty quickly. And um, and I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic, you know, decisions about how to how to distribute this money can begin to be made in the summer. Yeah, I saw I saw Beth Macy made a comment about MAT, buprenorphine, harm reduction, needle exchange. And, you know, my, my thinking is that this abatement money can absolutely help mitigate all those challenges and those needs. And, you know, I think it's a it's a big picture item. It is. And, you know, all of the things that you mentioned to me fit within what the authority would be able to spend money on. Uh, and it also, you know, we also know there are a lot of times there are co-occurring uh, dependencies, the co-occurring um, uh, mental health issues. It's broad enough that it can include um, help, helping in those areas as well. So it's really important to make sure that we have the right people on that authority. Who well, so you just you just hit something real important because the department is famous for taking substance abuse money and spending it more on mental illness. And we always seem to be, you know, the run of the litter, you know, and that authority, I mean, I'm telling you, that's where you want that recovery voice. I'm not sure one person's enough people on that authority. You might need a couple people on that. John, you're, you're, you're very persuasive. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, that's how you get things done. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, those are some changes that, that um, we can talk about and try and, and get incorporated as the legislation makes its way through the process. So right now, each chamber has passed a slightly different version, but very similar version, uh, both unanimously. They go to the, uh, they swap chambers now. And, you know, I think this is probably the best time to try to reach an agreement on exactly how large the um, this yeah. board should be and, and, and who the representatives should be on. Yeah, I think there'll be, shouldn't it be published somewhere where each state can see how much money they're getting. I mean, that's got to be public knowledge, I would think. Uh, yes. And um, so the in terms of the settlement with McKinsey, 
and how that was distributed among the states. Um, earlier, I, I want to say it was last year or maybe even the year before, as, as negotiations in the multi-state investigation dealing with the distributors and uh, some of the manufacturers began to, you know, take go from the idea stage to putting, you know, pen to paper. Um, the the AGs had a had a meeting. We talked about different ways to distribute the money. Uh, so, you know, some said it should be based on population. Some said it was uh, it should be based on um, you know states that were hardest hit. And so it, it was a negotiation among the states to try to balance all of those things out. And um, and it it seems like. We, we were able to reach an agreement, and then um, when we were able to get this settlement with McKinsey, we went with that same formula that we had worked on before. You know, this must have been a colossal project for all 50 state attorney generals. I mean, I just can't imagine you guys coming together. I can't imagine. What, it, would it be like a Zoom call? All 50 of y'all been on there? <laughs> it yeah, that would have been a little bit easier back then. Um, so it, it, it's... This, this multi-state investigation um, has been a lot of work for a lot of, a lot of us who've been on, working on this for years. And um, as attorneys general, usually it'll be a, a group that takes the lead and, and you know, depending upon expertise they have and bandwidth and everything else. But this was so large. Uh, among the state AGs, we divided up the work. So, um, you know, we are on the executive committee in the in the Teva case, for example, which we filed um, here in Richmond um, and some other areas that, that I've really kind of staked out uh, an important role. But other AGs have done other pieces of it. So we sort of divided up the workload because it was so large. And, and now that now that you're talking about one of the specific pieces of it that I think is really, really important. You know, I, I, I mentioned no amount of money is ever going to make up for the harm that was done. Uh, but this is a way to hold some people responsible who we think are especially culpable. But one of the things that I thought was really, really important, it was, it was through listening to people who have been directly impacted, uh, the recovery community and meetings that, that I've been in, you know, with, with you and others, uh, talking to people who've, who've lost a loved one, a brother, a sister, um, you know, a friend, a son or a daughter. And they really want to make sure that people know how this happened and who was responsible for it. And so for me, carrying their message, I wanna make sure that, that there's as much transparency as possible. And one of the things that, that I, I made uh, a mission was that in these, the internal documents from these companies that we've been able to discover, uh, I want to have placed in a permanent database that is open to the public and anybody who wants to do it can, can look and see for themselves because these are civil cases. These are civil cases. And usually when you settle a civil case, there's usually a paragraph of boilerplate language that says, we don't admit any, any wrongdoing. This is just a, a compromise of a disputed matter. And I felt, you know, if we're not going to get an admission from the people who, who did this at a minimum, we need to insist on those internal documents being publicly available forever. So journalists, historians, or anybody who's lost a loved one, if they want to, they can see the documents themselves. They can see the names of the, the people in the marketing offices, uh, the people who knew the truth about these drugs, 
and still kept trying to come up with schemes to sell more. That that's a that's a key part of it, and that so far that seems to have taken hold, and I think will be a part of any settlement. It's a part of the McKinsey settlement, and I think it will be a part of any future one with anybody else. Right. So so moving forward, the uh, you know what can the recovering community across Virginia expect out of you, their attorney general, when it comes to what this might all unroll out and look like. I mean, you're going to continue to be our champion. You're going to, you know, I know you're accessible because you're on this podcast. You know, what's that going to look like? Yeah. Well, um, you know, I started off by talking about how uh, the recovery community has taught me so much about addiction and, and um, how people can have hope and, and, and work their way through it. To a successful future. Uh, I need to continue to rely on you to help make me do my job better. And I'm hearing you loud and clear that um, you think more representation needs to be from the recovery community on this group. But what folks can always count on me is I'm going to work as hard as I possibly can to, first of all, stop the lies and make sure that these drug companies stop lying about their drugs. Second, to hold those responsible accountable to the extent I'm able to. Third, to bring back as much money and resources as I can. And fourth, to make sure that that money goes to the people who are out on the front lines, uh, abating this crisis, helping those who are in recovery uh, and doing prevention work. Those are the things that, that everybody who's listening on this can always count on me. And then lastly, you can always count on me to listen to what you have to say uh, and, and, you know, every time I talk with you, you seem like you're right. So I should just listen to what you say and do it. <laughs> well, I know where you work at, and I ain't scared to go down there and pick at your front door. However, you know, I, I got to give you credit for, you know, being engaging and involving. And I, and I hope and, and pray that as we walk through the process, you know, a year from now, McShin and these other NGOs aren't, you know, just here we are busting our butts, doing a lion's share, and these, these agencies are blocking us, putting barriers up, inventing stuff they don't need to invent. You know, more of the same in that area would, would really be a disheartening experience for us. So I'm really leaning on your office to make sure that doesn't happen. Uh, and, and I'm hearing you, and um, uh, wherever I can cut some red tape, red tape um, I, will, I will try to help you. I'm going to bring the scissors because I, I know. <laughs> Well, we can't thank you enough for coming on today, sharing all this with us. Um, you know, just keep doing what you're doing, I guess. Yeah, well, thank you. And I look forward to coming back to McShin. Um, I, I miss seeing you. This, this COVID has really made us all um, a lot more isolated than we have been, but it's really good to have this opportunity to have a conversation. Um, can't wait to get back and see everybody. And thank you for all, all that you're doing uh, for folks who are, uh, in addiction and recovery. Very good. Well, thanks so much, and more be revealed, gang. Y'all have a good weekend. See you. Thank later. you. Uh, my name is Shannon Lance. I'm currently here in recovery at McShin Foundation. Uh, I got out of jail on January 10th, 2021, and while I was incarcerated there, uh, my mother passed away to due to COVID. Uh, complications on December 14th. Uh, it was a, it was a really challenging event in my life. Uh, while I was incarcerated there, I 
I watched the recovery videos and the podcast on the tablets there, uh, you know, that was made by the McShin Foundation. Getting the Herd podcast is really made me feel like I was a part of something on the outside because, you know, there's people that are commenting and just seeing, you know, people that I was incarcerated with uh, on the videos and just thinking, man, you know, that's, that's going to be me, you know, before too long. And, you know, I'm going to be sitting there in them rooms and, you know, be able to be a part of the podcast and get in the herd series. And, you know, now I'm a part of the herd here at McShin and it's, it's an amazing feeling and it's, it's nice having a, a fulfilled sense of hope in my life currently and uh, just to live one day at a time and just to have positive feelings in my life and good relationships with you know my family and friends is uh, is an amazing event